Jessica Shab and I serve as the Library Commission Affairs Analyst. This meeting is being held in hybrid format, with the meeting occurring in person in the main library at auditorium and available to view or listen to in WebEx. Members of the public can observe the meeting using the WebEx system by following the link in the library's event calendar or by calling local 1-415-655-0001 and entering access code 2489-935-0506. Public comment will be taken both in person and remotely by video or call in for each item on the agenda. We will conduct public comment with attendees in the CREP first and then move to WebEx for public comment. Each comment is limited to three minutes unless otherwise noted. To make public comment when connected by phone, please raise your hand by dialing star three to be added to the remote queue for the agenda item you intend to comment on. Individuals joining by WebEx should click the raise hand button to be added to the queue. Mike Smith with Media Service Operations will moderate WebEx virtual public comment. Mr. Smith will call upon WebEx attendees by name or by caller number to prompt each attendee who wishes to provide public comment. If we experience any technical issues with WebEx, we will recess and try to address the issue. Please try logging back into WebEx if there are technical problems. Library Commissioners in attendance are President Connie Wolf, Vice President Pete Wong, Commissioners Ono, Maul, and Lomax Viroduzzi. Thank you very much. Hello and welcome to our first meeting in 2023. It's January 19th, 2023, and it's the um, meeting of the San Francisco Public Library Commission. To those of you here in Corette, we welcome you and delighted to see you, and we are very pleased to welcome our virtual audience via the WebEx platform. We do have a full meeting ahead, uh, ahead of us, and we will start with the Ramatush Ohlone Land Acknowledgement. The area now known as San Francisco is the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone peoples of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the original peoples of this land, the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place. We recognize that we benefit from living, working, and learning on their traditional homeland. As uninvited guests, we affirm their sovereign rights as First Peoples and wish to pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush community. If you have not already done so, all of the materials for this meeting are available for download on the Library Commission page of the library's website, sfpl.org. Today we have a total of six agenda items. Um, and we will begin with item number one, which is the election of the 2023 Commission Officers. This agenda item is the discussion and action to nominate and elect Library Commission Officers, President and Vice President for the 2023 calendar year. Before we move into our Commission discussion, we will first take public comment for both the President and Vice President position. We will start with public comment from members of the public present here in Corette, and then move to public comment from members of the public observing or listening through WebEx. Public comment is now open here in Corette. Peter Warfield, Executive Director. Is the microphone on? Yes. Thank you. Peter Warfield, Executive Director, Library Users Association. 
Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com and P.O. Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. I give the mailing address because I believe that mail does not have the kind of privacy issues that electronic communications have. And for those who care about that, they can reach us in that basically private way. Uh, you usually have, one expects to have a motion to discuss with respect to what the nominations might be. And uh, it's a little bit uh, putting the public into a position of not very focused about what your direction is when there are no nominations here before us. I think that's very problematic. I think that uh, most of the people who are here uh, are qualified, certainly, to be chair. But some have qualities that I think are important and valuable. Uh, I think that uh, it would be appropriate for you to have public comment after the nominations are made. One of the things that's happened in the past, and which I fully expect today, is that only one person will be nominated for each office. Where is the democracy in that? Where is the competition? Where is the discussion? Even if there's only one nominee for a position, it would certainly be useful to hear what that person has to say about what they think has been going on, what the library uh, needs to do or should do in terms of its direction, in terms of improvements, what are important, what are less so. And I think that it's important for that person to be able to listen fairly and clearly. <clears throat> and for all of the folks, but certainly for the president and vice president to be able to listen and understand what members of the public and others are saying about how the library is functioning. And to demonstrate that, for example, by having and insisting on accurate minutes that summarize fairly what people say, demonstrating it by, for example, coming out and saying, well, I understand so-and-so is saying such-and-such, and, such, and here's what I think of that. It's a good idea. It's not a good idea for these reasons. And we have almost none of that. The, the commission has tended to be completely ignoring the public. Uh, there is one person who I think is too combative and uh, has, in fact, violated the spirit, if not the letter of the law, in doing so with respect to public comments, and that person should not be elected. Thank you. Thank you. Any further public comment here in Corret Auditorium? Seeing that there's no further com public comment incorrect, we will now turn to public comment through WebEx. Members of the public who wish to make public comment on WebEx, click the raise hand button in the lower right-hand portion of the screen. If you have called into the WebEx dial-in number, please press star three to line up to speak. Um, operations, are there, could you let us know how many people are, are, are listening on WebEx today? Uh, currently we have, uh, well, people on the call. Are there any people who wish to offer public comment at this time? If so, please put them through. Madam President, at this time, there are no uh, callers in the queue. I will pause briefly so we can call us to join. Madam President, there are currently no callers in the queue. 
Thank you very much. Hearing that there are no public comments um, via WebEx, public comment for item agenda item number one is now closed. Commissioner Wolf, I just want to recognize that Commissioner Bolander has arrived. Thank you. Um, in a moment, I will call for nominations for the election of our 2023 officers. These nominations will be for Commission President and for Commission Vice President. Commissioners, please be advised that procedurally, no second is required for the nominations of the election of officers. A simple majority will elect our president and our vice president. Please note that each commissioner will have the opportunity to vote, even on a nomination in which they may be the nominee. The first candidate to receive a majority of the votes is elected and serves in the role for the calendar year 2023. There is no need to continue voting on additional nominations for president once a nominee receives four or more, more votes. Commission votes, commissioners will vote on the nominations in the order in which the nominations are received. First, we will call for nominations for president and um, once again, no second is required. Are there any commissioners who would like to make a nomination? Hi, this is uh, Commissioner Ono. I would like to nominate uh, Connie Wolf for president in 2023. Are there any further nominations for president? Nominations for president are closed, seeing that there are no further nominations. We will now commence with voting on each nomination, um, the one, and I turn it over to Margo. I'll take the roll call on the nomination for Connie Wolf for commission president for 2023. Vice President Huang. Is it I or no? Aye. Aye. Sorry. Commissioner Ono. Aye. Commissioner Mall. Aye. Commissioner Lomax Giraduzzi. Aye. Commissioner Bolander? Aye. President Wolf? Aye. Aye. Our 2023 Commission President is Connie Wolf. Oh, and. Well, you've got Commissioner Lopez. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's unanimous. <laughs> Thank you very much for this opportunity. I appreciate it. Um, an honor to serve on. Uh, in this role. Um, we now move to the uh, nominations and voting for Vice President of the San Francisco Public Library Commission. Um, once again, a simple majority elects the Vice President. Each commissioner will have the opportunity to vote, even for a nomination in which they may be a nominee. Um, there is no need to continue voting on additional nominations for Vice President, once a nominee receives four or more votes. At this time, um, are there any commissioners who would like to make a motion for Vice President? Commissioner Mall? Um, I'd like to renominate, I think, um, Commissioner Wang. I remember when he, you, were sitting out there asking us some very good questions. And it's lovely that you not only have been on the commission, but are now in a position of leadership. And you've done a great job the past one year, two years, I don't remember. Two? 
Okay. Well, I nominate you for one more year. Thank you. Any further nominations for a vice president? Seeing there are no further nominations, nominations for vice president are closed. We will now commence with voting for commission vice president. I will take the roll call on the nom nomination for nominee um, for um, commission vice president Pete Wong to serve as commission vi vice president in 2023. Commissioners, please say aye or no when I call your name. President Wolf. Aye. Commissioner Ono. Aye. Commissioner Mall. Aye. Commissioner Lomax Ghiraduzzi. Aye. Commissioner Lopez. Aye. Commissioner Bolander. Aye. Vice President Wong. Aye. Vice President Pete Wong continues to serve as our 2023 Commission Vice President. Thank you, everyone. And, and thank you, Commissioner Mall, for, for the very kind comment. It means a lot um, coming from you, especially. And um, I just want to say really quickly that I'm just really excited to see this particular year play out because I think in, in my uh, tenure so far on the commission, it's been such a privilege to watch um, the library get to this point where there are so many resources and such a solid track record, uh, reputation among agencies, um, you know, among libraries in, uh, in, in North America, et cetera. And um, it just feels like we're just getting started. And so I think uh, in 2023, there's a lot coming, a lot of exciting work to be done. Um, so thank you for the vote of confidence to um, continue serving. Thank you so much, Vice President. I also just want to add that 2023, 2022 was a, an incredible year. I want to just mark the, um, that Commissioner Bolander has, uh, is marking his first year on the commission. So we had one full one year with this commission and we're forging ahead. And I think we're an incredibly strong team offering many different perspectives, viewpoints, and very important insights into how the library will continue to be the extraordinary resource it is mostly due, almost all due to the extraordinary staff um, at the San Francisco Public Library. Every single person plays an incredible and essential role. So I think we all feel so fortunate to be um, sitting up here and working with all of you. So here's to a great year ahead and thank you again. So now we move to item number two, which is um, general public comment. Um, we will start with general public comment from members of the public here in Correct, and then we'll move to public comment from members of the public observing or listening through WebEx. Um, general public comment is now open here in Correct. Peter Warfield, Executive Director of Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com, and P.O. Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. One of the first meetings that I ever attended at the Library Commission had Fran Streets uh, apparently rather upset. And uh, this was a, a committee, a subcommittee that was called the Finance Committee. And she talked about uh, how she wanted 
there to be honesty in the dealings of the library uh, with her as a commissioner and with the public. And I was new and didn't really know what she was referring to or what might have prompted her to say that, but it seemed to me pretty startling nonetheless. But I think that uh, now that the library has gotten a 25-year guarantee of funding, thanks to the November election, with very little, if any, standards of service or oversight other than, for example, the number of hours that you're presumably open every week at all of the locations, and certainly no clear assignment of responsibility for the oversight of what the library is doing and what the library is delivering to San Franciscans who voted generously to fund the library generously for another 25 years. The previous two propositions for funding were for 15 years each. I would very much like to see that that honesty and fairness and listening and openness to the public and uh, whoever else has an opinion would be demonstrated by the library commission, the library commissioners and the administration. I think that honest and fair minutes demonstrate so far that you're not interested in fairly even summarizing what critics might say, like myself, and that there's no interest in discussing, by and large, whatever it is we say. You have the votes. You are in position to decide. There's no reason that you shouldn't be able to say, this is why we're doing something, if somebody asks a question or would like to know what's going on, and to think about what people might say with respect to what it is they would like to see at the library. Thank you. Thank you. Any further public comment here in Corret Auditorium? Seeing there's no further public comment here in Corret, we will turn to our listeners and viewers via WebEx. Um, operations, if there are any commenters in the queue, could you please put them forward? President, currently two callers. Caller Glenn, your three minutes begin now. Thank you. Yes, my name is uh, Glenn Rogers. I'm a landscape architect, and I am uh, living across the street from where the uh, Ocean View Library would be located, uh, the new proposal at 100 Orizaba. You know, there's a tremendous amount of hidden costs for this particular location. Uh, you know, this was uh, a stream that went down to Lake Merced. The watershed included uh, top of the hill da Daily City and the Orizaba Mountain, which is a substantial hill that we have here. And uh, also, so there are a tremendous amount of organic soils that, that are present. And uh, there's an earthquake fault there. So there's a number of... Uh, hidden areas there that are uh, hidden items that are very uh, serious. Other than that, this is an attractive nuisance, really, in my opinion, that uh, to bring children to a location where there are such incredible uh, amounts of traffic that are present. And uh, 
you know, it, it would be a, a killing field, in my opinion, to have a library located at 100 Orizaba. Uh, all that being said, you, you know, the uh, the street uh, of Orizaba is a very narrow street and you couldn't, you can't make it any larger uh, because there's houses that are present there. And and then there there's this uh, thing called the super blocks, which, uh, you know, in the old days, they made uh, they made blocks especially long. The combination of six blocks, uh, and and this is the type of uh, neighborhood uh, that would be uh, feeding uh, this library with uh, very uh, few alternate routes in order to get to the library. And then when you do get to it, you get to this terribly narrow street. So for all of these reasons and more, you know, I think that the location of this library at that. 100 Orizaba is a, a bad idea. I continue to think that's a bad idea, even though it'd be right across the street from me. You know, I think that uh, anyone that lives in my district, uh, which is district, uh, <laughs> district seven would have a hard time being able to get to this particular library and children would be especially vulnerable and the elderly and the handicapped. Thank you for allowing me to speak. Appreciate it. Are there any further public comments from the participants on WebEx? Yes, ma'am. Caller Yoon, your time begins. Hi, uh, thank you for having me. My name is Yoon Getty, and I am um, a current uh, staff member at the San Francisco Public Library. I wanted to take this opportunity to thank the commissioners for acknowledging the hard work that um, my uh, fellow colleagues at the library have put in to, um, to keep operations flowing and, um, and to help the public um, you know, we all we do our best to uh, to create um, a, a lively atmosphere and a welcoming atmosphere for all. Um, and moving forward, I hope that um, this commission continue to acknowledge and um, and understand the needs of the staff just as much as the public and uh, make decisions moving forward that will benefit um, for all our staff. Thank you. Comments? Madam President, there are no further comments at this time. Thank you. Hearing that there are no further public comments via WebEx, public comment for um, item number two is now closed. Uh, we will now turn to item number three on the agenda, which is discussion and possible action to approve the December 2022 Commission meeting minutes. We'll begin with public comment on our um, on this item before turning over to commission discussion and possible action. We begin with public comment here from um, participants here in Corret Auditorium. Public comment is now open. Peter Warfield, Executive Director, Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com and PO Box 170544, San Francisco, California 94117-0544.
Uh, the minutes, once again, have serious omissions and a number of misrepresentations. Unfortunately, as usual, uh, the experience I have is that uh, the folks here simply will not make changes, uh, even if they're pretty clear as to what needs to be done or even how it's requested to be done. In my general public comment, I'm sure that I said something about the library's continuing touting of Facebook and other social media and its refusal to include in the minutes the critiques that I have mentioned uh, along a whole range uh, of, well, actually, that the current minutes as well as prior minutes uh, with respect to Facebook in particular, prioritizing profits over safety, including safety for kids. That's excluded here. Uh, and I believe I said that at this time. I also said that the library doesn't seem to carry very basic materials like local papers, such as the examiner uh, and others that one would expect to find and that I could find at my local Walgreens, the Washington Post and USA Today. Uh, my point was that I think that in various ways, this basic information that the library is providing to folks is not adequate and not appropriate for a library of this stature and of this very generous funding. I've mentioned before that uh, Francis Haugen had talked to the Senate, testified at the Senate about how Facebook prioritizes profits over safety. And by that, they meant literally that people were uh, having lower self-esteem, sometimes leading to suicides, especially teenagers and teenage girls. And in general, promoting uh, all kinds of violence and problems. Uh, that needs to be included. And when you persistently exclude it, it talks about, it basically says you're not summarizing as you're supposed to under the law. And you're touting without any explanation uh, a whole world of information as well as disinformation and misinformation without even giving any clue to the public about what the problems and the issues and the dangers are of this freebie touting that the library does. Thank you. Um, thank you. Any further public comment here in Coret Auditorium regarding item number three, the meeting minutes? We will now turn to um, public comment via WebEx operations. Are there any callers in the queue? And if so, please let them through. Madam President, at this time, we have one caller in the queue. Caller Glenn, three minutes begin now. Thank you very much, Glenn Rogers. Again, I, I wanted to bring your attention to the fact uh, that the uh, Ocean View Library, when it is uh, be, <laughs> being developed, is uh, having both the transportation solution and the solution for the master plan of the library be separate. And it was always my hope that the, uh, the transportation plan or failure of that plan would signal that the library's location uh, at 100 Orizaba would be a folly. That being said, you know, to provide the $15 million for the library before the plan 
you know, has been uh, developed and the transport transportation plan has been shown to be a failure, you know, is uh, folly again for me. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention. Thank you. Finished. Um, any further comments on this agenda item? We like to ask that um, commenters comment directly to the item at hand. And this is regarding the meeting minutes from December 2022. Any further comments from WebEx? Madam President, at this time, there are no further commenters in the queue. In, seeing that there are no further public comments, public comment is now closed and we open this up for discussion and possible action. Are there any commissioners who would like to offer comments? Commissioner Bolander. Yes, thank you. Um, I just, just as a matter of, I think, I guess, protocol or clarity, um, all of the commission meetings recorded and put archived somewhere. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Um, and so I was wondering if there would be a way that we could put the link to that in the meeting minutes so that at least it's there for the record. And the reason is, is when people look at this, they should be able to click on that. That, that was my only kind of procedural um, issue because I do think it would be, it's a valuable document to know. Oh, then there's the recording. So thank you. We'll take note of that recommendation. Thank you. That's it. Thank you, Commissioner Bolander, for that good suggestion. Any other comment? Um, otherwise, um, uh, would someone like to make a motion to approve the minutes of the December 2022 commission meeting? I move to approve the, the minutes. Uh, Commissioner Lopez, do we have someone to second it? I, I second it. Um, we have Commissioner Lopez uh, having a motion, and we have a second from Commissioner Lomax Garaducci. And I'll take the roll call. Commissioners, please say aye or no when I call your name. President Wolf. Aye. Vice President Wong. Aye. Commissioner Ono. Aye. Commissioner Mall. Aye. Commissioner Bolander. Aye. The, po the motion passes unanimously, and we will now move on to item number four, which is di a discussion on the fiscal year 24-25 budget update. So I turn the meeting over to our city librarian, um, Michael Lambert. Thank you, President Wolf. Good evening, commissioners. Thank you for this opportunity to present the library's FY 24-25 budget. This is the third public meeting that we have held to discuss the library's budget and our library CFO, Mike Fernandez is here and he's gonna be presenting the budget presentation. Thank you, Michael, appreciate that. Good afternoon, commissioners. Congratulations, President Wolf, Vice President Wolf. I'm here today before you honored again to continue our discussion on the fiscal year 24 and 25 budget. So just a quick reminder where we are on the budget calendar. Right now we are, we have, we're going through budget proposal development. Um, we are bringing those before you for discussion. Uh, we are working with our city agency partners. That's the city work order development. Uh, we've brought some proposals before you for discussion here today, and uh, we are looking towards February for approval of the budget by this commission, by this body. We do have to submit those to the controller's office in February, so it's a tight, tight deadline. Um, and from there, we will negotiate with the mayor's office, the board of supervisors in June this year. 
and they will approve the budget sometime June, July, and the mayor will sign July or August, and funds will become available uh, actually after the uh, mayor's uh, on July 1st. So I'm sure everyone saw the news already. Um, there was a press release uh, acknowledging that the city is, is currently forecasting a $728 million deficit over the next two years. That's $200 million in the coming fiscal year 24 and $527 million in fiscal year five. Some of the drivers that they've, they've identified in this projection is really a weakening of the property transfer and the business taxes. That is somewhat offset by strengthening sales and hotel tax, but it is not enough um, to, to really get us out of deficit. On the expense side, um, as you may know, city contracts are going to be open for all the city staff, one of the major drivers of our expenses. So with that uncertainty, they're using the current high CPI to uh, cur currently pretty high inflation that we've all been experiencing as a placeholder until we know more. Um, they've also identified citywide operating costs and baselines like ours. They've also noted uh, they've also noted that we've lost some of the COVID recovery funds. The, the federal government is providing localities and states with funds, and those funds will be wrapping up uh, this fiscal year. So those will no longer be available. Or sorry, in fiscal year twenty four will be the last year they're available. And so. With that update, we also received the budget instructions from the mayor's office. She, uh, the mayor's office will have us prioritize her priorities, of course, um, which, which is for uh, prioritizing economic recovery, improving public safety, the street conditions, reduce homelessness and transform mental health services, service delivery, and accountability and equity in the services that we provide and accountability, especially on the spending side. General fund departments of which uh, we are not, are looking at a 5% 24 reduction and an 8% uh, reduction in the following fiscal year 25. The library, because we are self-sufficient, we have our own revenues from the aforementioned uh, proposition to, to establish our baseline, we simply balance the revenue. So that's, 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 those are our constraints that we'll be operating within. Um, we're also seeking to, of course, main, maintain the mayoral initiatives. Um, they are asking us to, wherever possible, to substitute rather than add, add new positions to the budget, but they are not asking us to freeze or, or do not, or they're not also instructing us to not ask for any new positions at this time. But they are, of course, warning us and having us think through what would happen if the outlook continues to weaken from here. So we are thinking of contingency plans. So what does that mean for the main driver or the, the main source for our budget, which is of course the library preservation fund? In fiscal year 24, they are forecasting will be about $7 million less than the budget that was adopted last cycle. So the budget that you all approved last year assumed $7, more, $7 million more in revenue than they're currently forecasting. In fiscal year 25, they are forecasting an increase to the current forecast for 24 of roughly $4.4 million, that would bring us to 183.4. And we are carrying in, we are estimating, uh, sorry, and we carried into this year a uh, relatively healthy fund balance of $30.2 million, .30 million that we'll be relying on to help balance through this, this current environment we're in right now.
uh, of course, our our budgets will our budget proposals and our priorities will always be informed by our strategic initiatives that you can see here. Um, we are, of course, looking forward to the next year as we continue to evaluate those strategic initiatives. Um, but you'll see that we've continued to organize around these principles. That's how the BPs of it will be presented to you. Uh, the budget proposals will be presented to you. And these are organizing principles that we construct our budget around. On the, as we know, the labor is, uh, the, the staff cost, the labor cost for our staff is the, the, major, the major driver for our budget overall. But, you know, coming in close second is, of course, the collections um, that the library houses. Here you can see some detail of what we're proposing. We had mentioned previously that we are contemplating a status quo budget. Um, and as you can see here, the collections themselves are very status quo in that they don't change. <laughs> um, but as far as fulfilling our initiatives that we had proposed last cycle and that we have already funded, um, we're starting with Native American, African American collection in fiscal 23, and we'll be selecting different communities in future years. Um, the collection audit is taking some time, but this will go hand in hand with the review of subject headings for those areas. As far as the giveaways that, um, that were funded in the previous cycles and continue to be, those are ongoing expenses, the, proposing, the proposed funding breakdown would be for scholars at home, 400,000, summer together, 400,000, everybody reads is 400,000. A quick note on the e-collections, last fiscal year saw a 34% increase, which is continuing to this year. Increasing this budget will ensure that we don't have a dip in any physical collection to cover. Um, so you can see there. Um, and we are still, as we emerge from, from COVID, we're closely monitoring the budget trends, leaving fiscal year 24 flat, and we'll make decisions for, for that year once we have some additional data. So we're still in that data collection phase, and we'll continue to adjust as we go. So as, as you can see, the, what the, the investment level that we've, that we continue to, that we're continuing to hold will allow for continued support for the main branch, Bookmobile, and JL Reentry Service Collections. The, there is a tablet project for the JL Reentry Services um, that will be supported by providing e-resources e for inmates that we're excited about. We are preparing, of course, for Mission Opening Day collection. That is already assumed within our budget within the baseline, so we're not having to ask for any more funds for that. Um, as I mentioned previously, we're continuing to audit the collections um, to ensure we have increased representation for our BIPOC communities. We're tracking circulation trends to prepare for the next budget cycle. Um, we're continuing to expand the Scholar at Home program, include boxes for our pre-K. We're also continuing to fund the successful Summer Together program um, and the Everybody Read programs from last summer. And for E-collections, uh, although the usage is down from fiscal year 22, it's still up actually 45% um, compared to fiscal year 19. So we're still seeing relative strength there. And over the five years, you can see the investments that have been approved and that we have been making within our collections. Um, we're, we're proposing right now to keep that at a plateau. So it's been rising over the last uh, five years, but we're proposing to keep those flat for, for at least for this next two year cycle.
So I've broken up the budget proposals again by positions and non-positions. So we'll go over the non-positions first. Uh, I did want to point out that there was, we did have a little bit of a typo on row three there. Um, the total, total proposed investment should be 250 instead of 377. Apologies for that. Um, we have some proposals here uh, that you've seen before that have now been refined, as we had mentioned we were going to do. Um, starting with uh, that refreshing the server equipment, we went back and, lo and looked and we, we noted that we actually don't need um, to, to add any funds. We have the existing budget to do that, so we're able to withdraw that budget proposal at this time. Um, Ocean View is also refined um, to no longer need that investment in 24. Looking at the cash flow, uh, we identified that really wasn't needed. So those are a couple of changes from what you saw last, last month. Giving you a little bit more information of what of what these proposals are for. Um, so for the replace and install the, the air conditioning in the history room at, at Maine, that's really because that system is at the end of its life cycle. Um, it's original from when the library was built in 1996. And so that, that request would um, double the 250 that was already built into the base to bring that to a $500,000 project. We do have some, those vehicles are well beyond their useful life, some of them, um, all, and this would be proposing to have three vehicles um, within the fleet refresh for the coming cycle. Um, the CPI increase for a state of good repair, um, you know, just seeing that the, the way that we've been really affected by inflation, we need to ensure that we have a scudding budget to be able to meet those demands to make sure that all of our, the previous investments you've made will continue to operate in a state of good repair. As for uh, the, so for the reason why utilizing NSF fellow is here, you might wonder this, although it's a position as far as it's a person um, coming in, this is actually, we pay for it through a non-position, non that's why it's here. This would allow for a third fellow to come and assist the IT division uh, on their policies and procedures. The DigiCenter book scanner is um, to replace the one we had that was a that we had through a partnership um, that we no longer that has since expired, and so we're le left without one. And so this would allow us to scan government documents is um, in our depository. Uh, the laptop kiosk at the main library uh, would be a 12-bay laptop. Uh, check out the kiosk, kiosk dispenser. That would that would allow us to enhance the digital access we have at the main now, and in line with what we've we've done in several locations successfully. For the expanding the library exhibitions, we're seeing a 140% increase in the same period over year over year. So we really are looking for, for funds commensurate with what it takes to put on those exhibitions. And then lastly, the Youth Poet Laureate. Um, this, would, uh, this funding would allow us to recognize and engage with teen, teen writers and spoken word artists and establish the Youth Poet Laureate for San Francisco. Uh, here we have, so that was, that was for the non-position side. For the position side, um, we just took your feedback uh, from the last presentation. So to make it hopefully a little easier to, to consume this information, got, went ahead and added the classification title so you can see what those positions are and kind of why that cost differential was there last time. 
um, as well as, so you can see the head count. Some of these are not necessarily full-time positions. So, so you can see how many people we're, we're proposing and what the full-time equivalency is. Also, when we add new positions to the budget, they're not funded for a full year. So when we add more than one, sometimes that can get a little confusing. So hopefully that makes it a little clearer. Uh, for the, the building grounds patrol officer, we're looking to, as it says, to, to extend coverage seven days a week. Uh, for human resources, we're make, proposing to make two investments that will help to enhance our diversity recruitment efforts and implement diversity, equity, inclusion, recruitment initiatives. The, the next one is transition health and safety associates from contract workers. It, this was touched on before, but just as a reminder, these, this is actually going to be offset cost-wise from a work order that we currently have. So while these costs will appear in the position side for the first time, it allows us savings on the non-position side. And for the bookmobile, we're, we're intending to expand um, both on the youth and adult side for full weekend hours. And lastly, we would really like to capitalize on the advances we've made during this hybrid programming to make sure we have enough um, AV specialist or audio video specialists to be able to record and to put to make available live stream as well as archive. Um, the programming that we have that we're not currently able to do with, with the current forces. So all in all, this would in, entail a $6 million additional investment in fiscal year 24 as well than some of those costs, because many of those costs were a, are ongoing. That would actually become a $8.2 million increase in fiscal year 25. To give you some context, a lot of these are in facilities maintenance and infrastructure as far as our strategic priorities go. Some of that is driven really because the way we budget for capital projects, like they tend to go through the one-time process. So you'll see them, so most, most often they'll, they get funded through there. That is partly driving why that's such a high figure. And I just also want to remind you that um, because we already had significant capital investments in the fiscal year 24 basis, we're not asked the reason why the, the ask is we're able to make assets. So um, that's relatively modest. Already included within our base budget for the current for fiscal year 24 is a $15 million investment in Ocean View, $3 million investment in Chinatown, building maintenance assessment of $2 million, information recovery, IT refresh at points up at $700,000 elevator assessment at half a million dollars and updating the building element, uh, updating the building envelopes at a quarter million dollars. So those are already baked in. You're not having to add any money for those. So those investments will continue to go in and help spur economic growth and continue investments without having to, to ask for more this year. Looking ahead for the rest of this month, we continue to refine those budget proposals where we find where we can either withdraw or reduce those. As I pointed out earlier, we're, we're doing so. Um, confirming the work order entries. Um, the work order is a term for when we co contract with other agencies. Uh, that's called a work order. So right now is right, really when we start coordinating all of those um, and continue to do so in January. And next month, we'll bring before you for approval, there are budget options and we'll submit to the controller and mayor's office as well next month.
Thank you, and I'm here for any questions, which I'm sure you'll have. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much for that very um, helpful presentation. Um, we are now going to open this up for public comment before we have comment and discussion here at the commission level. Um, so public comment is now open here in Correct, and final after Correct comments are made, then we will go to WebEx. So public comment is now open. Peter Warfield, Executive Director, Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com and P.O. Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. The, um, I've used the term debookification, and I'm still very concerned. I've raised this with you before. This, to me, represents a very uh, peculiar level and a disturbing level of debookification and a kind of uh, glorification of everything electronic, uh, which we've heard in various pieces from library administration. Uh, well, first of all, with respect to priorities, you know, this little dance of circles is a joke. What's on top and what's on the bottom? Where's the mention of books and materials for patrons, electronic or print? Uh, there's no mention specifically of, well, let's read it. Premier Urban Library in the middle. Partnerships for Excellence, Literacy and Learning going clockwise from the top. Youth engagement, organizational excellence, digital strategies, facilities, maintenance and infrastructure. Where's something that's coming out for patrons? You know, I would like to use the barnyard epithet, but I'll spare your delicate ears. This is nonsense. When we look at some of the specifics, we see that ebooks are funded slightly above, by my addition, to the physical budget. So we've now got an ebook budget that's slightly bigger than the books, but the books are still wildly more popular and wildly more circulating when you get a chance, when you give people a chance to get at them, when you give them improved hours to get at them. And even your own description here talks about, well, I think the latest thing I saw was that books were going way up as uh, libraries are opening and that e-usage e is going down. Your, your own information talks about a drop in e-circulation. Yes, there are advantages and disadvantages, but this debookification while the book demand is very strong i also i would like to see budget for reaching all of your patrons that do not have electronic access easily available uh who you are grossly neglecting with your publicity and with your materials often i've seen long wait lists for a book especially current books new books and the e the six different ways in which you enable e access those have available right now for people to check out. That I think is biasing and putting a very heavy hand on the scale when you compare the so-called preferences of one over another. Thank you. Thank you for your, thank you for your public comment. Any further public comment here in Correct Auditorium? Seeing no further public comment here in Correct, we now turn to uh, public comment through WebEx. Members of the public who wish to make public comment on WebEx, please 
click the raise hand button in the lower right hand portion of the screen. If you have called into the WebEx dial-in number, please press star 3 to line up to speak. Operations, if there are any commenters in the remote queue, please begin to put the commenters through. Thank you. Madam President, I have one commenter in the queue currently. I will call her Glenn. Your three minutes begin now. Thank you very much. And I apologize for uh, for uh, not being in uh, speaking in the, the right category. But I, because I think this is important, I'm going to repeat myself so that we're able to uh, have this on the record. Again, this, again, this is Glenn Rogers. The $15 million to go to the uh, Ocean View Library, you know, before it, uh, the plans had been uh, approved, and the, especially the circulation plan, which uh, presently, you know, has been attempted by the SFCTA, uh, providing housing in the green belt and also uh, providing uh, no access into the uh, green belt uh, with uh, Brotherhood Way and having a circular uh, path around Alamany and down Arch Street is wildly unpopular in the District 7. And this whole district will fight tooth and nail for that particular solution to not occur. The idea of uh, taking um, circulation and uh, ruining it in order to make the library safer for children so that they don't get run over by fast moving cars is is not a decent solution therefore you know the idea of separating the uh, the master plan and the transportation plan is a bad idea and it is only done in order to be able to go forward with the bad idea of the ocean view library at 100 or Zaba. This particular district has a tremendous amount of uh, circulation problems. As I mentioned before, Orizaba, very narrow street. Oftentimes you have to pull into uh, driveways in order to be able to go up uh, Orizaba. And then the streets are especially large, as, long, as, as large as six regular blocks. And uh, when that happens, it also makes uh, circulation uh, very difficult. So with all of these uh, problems, I don't think you should be putting a budget in of 50 million for the Ocean View Library until a decent transportation problem has been solved. Thank you for allowing me to speak. Appreciate it. Th thank you. Um operations are there any further public comments via webex madam president there are no callers in the queue at this time i will pause briefly to allow wishes to, to raise their hand madam president there are no callers in the queue Thank you very much, operations. Um, given that there are no further comments via WebEx, public comment on item number four is now closed. We now turn this uh, discussion to the commissioners for comments, questions, and thoughts. And so I open it up to my fellow commissioners for comments. And I will start with Commissioner Mall. Thank you very much, and I know tons of work went into this. Um, 
I have a fast question about the, um, I wish you could go over again, please, the invest in main library safety enhancement projects for $4 million. It's on page 20. We'd be happy. Yeah, we'd be happy to. Sure, so some additional detail on that. Sorry, I skipped over that one. Over the last two years, uh, we've been working with Public Works Architects. Um, the library's already beginning installing architecturally appropriate safety barriers to augment um, the height of some of the handrails around multi-story spaces. So what this project will allow us to do is to install those safety barriers, barriers which are compatible with the architecture of the building. So over the last two years, Public Works Architects have been studying our space um, looking for the best way to fit in safety measures and um, what they've come up with, um, this is around roughly $4 million of, of safety enhancements. It was roughly $4 million in safety enhancements. And will this work be completed in a year, within a year, or what? That, I, the, more you might want to take that, but I think that's probably, we're probably a little too early to, I don't think I've seen that schedule. Yeah. I, um... Thank you for the question, Commissioner Mall. I would not say that it would easily be done within a year, but we definitely want to make sure that the, the funding is available. We'd have to work with Public Works to determine if this is a contract uh, work that would be put out to bid, or is it something that the Bureau of uh, Building Repair would do on behalf of the city? And that's a bureau within the Department of Public Works. So we would have to determine in consultation with them, what capacity would be done either internal with the city through the Department of Public Works or if we would have a contractor come in and do the installation. I understand, but based on the, uh, the apparent need for these safety measures, right. um, based on the history and some things we've witnessed, it seems that this is sort of an urgent matter that would um, hopefully be up there in your priorities. Yes, it's it's definitely a priority project for us and then this would allow for the proper cash flow need. So whether the item goes out to contract or the Bureau of Building Repair does the work, then we wanna make sure that we have the cash on hand. This allows us to make sure that the cash is on hand early at the start of fiscal year 24, but we can continue to complete the design work and be prepared for the actual commencement of the physical work early in fiscal 24. I thought a lot of this thinking had been done already. Yes, and that's why we were able to put into the budget the $4 million estimate. So we've done the design considerations and it's a matter of then moving the project forward through the permitting process as well as um, determining again who is it that would actually provide the actual installation of the safety. Yeah, no, no, I understand. I understand all that, but um, some of this money is fungible. So I mean, it's not like we don't have that money. Well, we've. I mean, we have spent some money in the current fiscal year to get the design work done and uh, the original estimates from the from the Department of Public Works, so that we would know the amount that we need to put in the budget. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Thank you, Commissioner Mall. Commissioner Wong. Uh, thank you, Mike. Um, could you, I, I just wanna make sure I'm understanding, like 
making sure that the numbers are tying well. So if we can go to the page numbered 15 on the budget environment. So at the bottom, it says LPF estimates, FY24 is coming in at 7 million less than the FY24 adopted budget mm -hmm. with coming into, or at the end of FY23, we had a balance estimate of 30.2 million. Okay, so does this then, so, so we're already, like the LPF uh, revenue source is going to be 7 million less than, than the adopted budget, and then tacking on the proposed investments on page number 22, we're saying for FY24, it's an, a new investments of uh, six point, roughly one or two, mm -hmm. a mix of mostly like one time. So does that mean we're, we're like projecting that we're gonna head into, or like after like FY24 year end, we're gonna be, what is that? Like 7 million less minus another 6 million of additional investments leaves 17 million, give or take. At, at, at um, in the fund balance at the end of uh, FY24. So the the yes and no. So the what's missing from here is that part of the adopted adopted budget for fiscal year 24. Assume we would have close to four million dollars that we were put back into the reserve. Um, okay. Which with the seven million dollar shortfall, obviously we're not going to put anything back in the reserve. So that buffers that by um, it was 3.9 million. Um, so that, that buffers it to some degree. So we, we would be assuming a little bit less than that. Um, so in, in next month, we will go into a little bit more detail of what, how 25 starts. So the, and that's why I also wanted to, to illustrate that we had this $21 million of capital investments already baked into fiscal year 24. Mm -hmm. So the nature of, these investments is essentially that because they don't carry over, they're not baked into the 25 base. Mm -hmm. So if if we were to continue this at this level, then yeah, that would be that would be an accurate, more accurate read of what 20 what we would be looking at going into 25. But since all all that one time you know comes off, then that's it's not that's not quite the right way to to look at it but right. you're, I, you're I, saying I, the, I see what you see what, you're yeah. saying the right framing is like if, if we are uh dipping into the fund balance it's primarily due to the capital investments and not the sort of changes that that we're proposing to, to the budget on 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 these pages here i would i would say because that, on an ongoing basis those capital investments are going to aren't going to be there and like we we right. it, this is not saying that we're going to be like getting close to situations where we're like regularly dipping into the fund balance, uh, you know, year over year over year. Exactly. So we're not at the point with ongoing expenses where our ongoing expenses are exceeding our LPF revenue. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Great. Thanks. That's very helpful. Um, uh, further, uh, Commissioner Bolander. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to comment on the safety improvements, we have temporary safety improvements in right now, right? Yes, that's correct. I want to assure the entire library commission that this main library safety project is a top priority. Mm -hmm. And just to give you some additional context, we started with the stairwell. Yeah. That is completed. We've sealed up the fourth floor. Uh, currently, the third floor has netting up. So this project is designed to make that more elegant and match 
the other safety improvements that we've already made. If you walk through this building, there are numerous light wells that currently have black netting. Mm -hmm. And so we have temporary mitigation, but it is going to require a significant investment to make it um, look the way that we want it to look okay. throughout the building. Right. So, but, but from a safety issue, we're mitigating the safety concerns. Those have been implemented. This money is to make it a little more integrated with what it would actually look better, exactly. for lack of a better word. Exactly. And so the uh, criticality of getting it done, of course, we want to get it done, but from a, but the safety issues have been mitigating as best that we can with these temporary measures. Exactly. Okay. And, you know, we're also bumping up against our sister department, the yeah. Department of Public Works, their capacity to yeah, get yeah, this yeah. work done. I understand. I understand. Okay. And then um, on page 21 on position investments. Um, so for FY25, the, you know, we don't have obviously head counts and FTE and head counts, but some of the investments are going to be going up, it seems, or there are adjustments. It was unclear to me, as an example, the one that's the most, um, like media production specialist, as an example, it not almost doubles, but it's another, what, 250 grand. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that's FTE increase. Okay. Okay. I got confused. I just want to, I'm assuming when we look at the 25 budget, you'll, we'll see the comparison. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, and that's why I put in the head count to hopefully make it a little bit more clear. I know it's still in budget tees <laughs> if it were, as you were, um, but yeah, that, that 2.37, um, because you have the three headcount next to it, those are three full time. So that mm -hmm. 2.37 in 24 becomes three in 25. Plus, on an annual basis, they, they're, they're assumed to have cost more. We don't know what those contracts will look like, but we're going to assume there's COLA increase and then the fringes, of course. Uh, so that would be the salary side, as well as the fringe costs, we assume will go up also in 25 as a, relative to 24. So okay. on a per year basis, folks get more expensive and then in in 25 that 2.37 becomes a full three but i mean w would it be that much more because it seems like it's not tracking in terms of percentages that's what confused yeah, me that, that might be that might be a little bit of an artifact of that position the okay. way the way it's the way it's been entered in okay in the next in in next month's pr uh, presentation we have a trued up Basically, we're doing all this work on a, on a side table, so yeah. these will all be entered into the system, and we'll have a better. Okay. This was our best guess yeah, yeah. in January, and so we'll have better numbers for you in February. No, no, no. I mean, again, I yeah, budgeties. I don't speak <laughs> yet. Apparently, I need to get more educated on that. I speak other e's, but not that. <laughs> um, okay. No, this this is great. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you very much, Commissioner Bolander. Any further, um, Commissioner Lopez? Um, thank you for the presentation. Um, on the non-position investment, and, and I think is, this is more of a clarifying um, question, um, for the youth engagement, uh, the youth poet laureate, um, can you explain that one, that line again? Um, my, my understanding is that um, 
it will thirty thousand dollars. I mean, thirty thousand dollars are going to be invested in in twenty four. But then I don't see any amounts on twenty uh, fiscal year twenty five. Uh, is it because it's going to be continuous? Uh, that's the idea. Yes, and that's for. Um, I think I was confused. Non-position that 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 could go away in future years. Is that is that why it's a non-position? No. So so it's non-position because it's not a new city staff person. So thank okay. you for the question, um, and give me the opportunity to clarify. The the we have a column for one time and ongoing. That would be the column next to FY twenty four original. And because that's an ongoing expense we're putting in in 24, it's assumed that that would be built into 25 and future budgets. So making this investment as an, on an ongoing basis would put it in to our base going forward. So the 30,000 we invest now in 24 will continue in 25. If we wanted to take that 30,000 and say double it and we wanted to give out 60,000 in awards in 25, that would require an additional 30,000 investment in 25 over and above. And just again, just um, trying to wrap my head mm -hmm. around this. So, for that particular item, um, it is not a salary; it's it's, it's an investment. It it is for all the costs, including promotion or whatever it, it needs. Right? It's not to pay the one person. So, for this, this yeah, go ahead. Thank you for the question, Dr. Lopez. This, um, just as background, we have the San Francisco Poet Laureate, and right. you know the cost of that program is roughly $35,000 a year, mm -hmm. which we pay in the form of a stipend to an individual. Uh, the Youth Poet Laureate program that is being considered and under development right now with some partners in the community, uh, this $30,000 investment would be structured in the form of scholarships, because we're talking about young people that uh, there may be tax implications or they may not be in a position to accept the same level of compensation, but we still want to support these youth and their future. So we're thinking of this money as money that we could deposit into uh, like one of the city's kindergarten to college accounts. Uh, so that that's how we're looking to structure this. But it, it is still very much under development. So this funding is somewhat of a placeholder as we consider how we can move this forward. Thank you. Thank you so much. for That, that makes so much sense. Thank Thanks. You. Thank you very much for that clarification. Any further comments from the commissioners? Um, Commissioner Ono. Hi, Mike. Thank you very much for your presentation. Um, I know you just got the mayor's instructions last, right after we had our meeting last time, and I really appreciate how you incorporated all of her priorities into our budget. Um, I do have one question. On page 16, where we show the budget priorities, these are the public library's strategic priorities that we've been living under for budgeting. So that's why this chart is always included. So as we go forward with a different strategic plan, it might change, but for the budgets that we are looking at now for 24 and 25, 
we will continue to have these priorities. Zach? Yes, thank you. Thank you for the question, Commissioner Arno. Yes, that that is that is correct. These are the library's strategic priorities, and that's that's what the budget is built upon. And as we go through the strategic planning process, that will inform what this could look like in the future. And we'll have the opportunity in a year, in a year's time, to make adjustments. Okay, thank you. And on page, no, I can't. The physician investments. You had mentioned that we're going the um, hasas. Uh huh are going to go from contract to library staff and it was going to be offset because of work orders. So currently they are on work orders with another agency and that's why they will now become library staff. Correct. Okay. Yeah, the, we send money over to um, home, home assist, uh, Department of Home Assistance and Supportive Housing. They, they have a contract with Haluna Health that, em, that employs the, the workers on a contract basis. And we would take those and make them actual city staff. So we would employ them as library staff. And that's why you were talking about labor costs and everything. The, yeah, I'm just doing some clarification for my for myself right now. Um, and the other on the next page, the proposed new investments. Is that chart new, or am I just didn't see it before? Or yes. This, this chart is new. Yeah. No, I like it. No, I like how you broke it out. That's why I said, was I missing this in other budget presentation? No, it just makes sense to me that you break it out that way. So I just appreciate it. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for the question. Thank you, Commissioner Ono. And we turn now to Commissioner Lomax Garaducci. Yes, I know. Thank you so much, Mike. My question was about I had it was about the uh, bookmobile um, on page twenty one. So, um, so it's a matter of just expanding the hours and um, and where is the bookmobile primarily um, uh, servicing at this time? We have our Chief of Community Programs and Partnerships here. Michelle Jeffers oversees bookmobile services, so she can give you a brief description of current service delivery and what she's envisioning with this additional capacity. Thank you, Michael, and thank you, Commissioner Garaduzzi, for the question. Um, so we are all over the city with the bookmobile, of course, and we are the regular service to Treasure Island, but also to a number of senior centers, preschools, elementary schools, and other special events. And where we find is that we have, we have become so popular and requested at so many weekend special events that we are hoping for the additional staff to help us do more of that outreach work. If, oh, one of our regular spots is also um, city parks, so we go to the city parks all week long, too. Thank you, Michelle. Sure. And I have one more question about the a, the HASAs, the, um, I'm not sure if you call it the HASAs, but basically the uh, converting them into uh, library staff. Do we currently have any of them that are, that are, um, uh, that are staff that, uh, besides being a contracted workers, or will this be the first time that we're actually taking that really remarkable program and transferring them into uh, library staff and, and, and building it first into time. base it's buddy? first time. Yes, we have a social worker program, and uh, we've always depended on our work order agreement with the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing uh, for this capacity. And it's um, a contract that they hold with a private entity, uh, nonprofit, I believe, 
that employs these um, these hosses. And so we're looking to transition them to city employment, full benefits, and make them part of our team. I think that's remarkable. Thank you. Thank you. Any further comments from the commissioners, questions? Well, I just want to add that budgets, I love budget discussions because as you've just witnessed from all of these comments and questions, it not only is understanding the numbers, but it really illuminates what actually happens and how the dollars are spent. So all of the commissioners' comments and questions really helped illuminates the, the, a new program for the Youth Poet Laureate, understanding the, the idea of making these staff members who have been, these contract workers who have been essential, giving them new opportunities to become staff and all the different kinds of programs moving forward. So thank you to, um, thank you to you, Mike, for your great presentation and um, to the, all the staff for all the work that goes into really thinking about what the priorities are moving forward. I think it's gonna be great um, uh, what we look at next year, possibly with the strategic plan coming online, and that's gonna be really exciting. We'll have a brand new chart, Commissioner Ono, to, <laughs> to look at, um, <laughs> or not. Or we'll, we'll see how far we get in the next year. But make, I just- Make sure Randy has his input on the chart. Okay, fine, okay. But I just wanna say thank you. This is always a rich, rich discussion about what we do for our community and our patrons. Um, I just wanna remind the commissioners that at our next meeting, which is soon because it's only in two weeks, um, we will have another one more opportunity to review this before voting on it and there will be more information and some opportunities to kind of weigh priorities um, 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 as they're presented. So thank you very much, Mike, for your presentation and to the whole team and to the commissioners for your great comments. So we will now move on to item number five, which is the city librarians report. So um, I turn this over to our wonderful city librarian, Michael Lambert. Thank you so much, President Wolf. We have a number of reports this evening, and I'm pleased to introduce our first presenter. Naomi Jelks is our racial equity manager, and she's gonna be presenting on more than a month, black history, culture, and heritage here at the San Francisco Public Library. Naomi. Thank you, Michael. Good evening, all. I'm Naomi Jelks, a racial equity manager for the library, and I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit about our Black History Month programming, more than a month. More Than a Month is San Francisco Public Library's celebration of black history and futures, focused on the themes of resistance. Beginning on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday weekend, during Black History Month and throughout the year, the library champions black leaders and change makers in the San Francisco Bay Area and beyond. The art that we're using um, for this year's campaign is on the screen and the image you're looking at is an image of Dr. Maya Angelou, drawn by Bay Area artist Lava Thomas. It is a study for the Angelou Memorial commissioned by the San Francisco Arts Commission, which will be installed near the Larkin Street entrance of the main later this year. A little bit about the artist. Lava Thomas tackles issues of race, gender, representation, and memorialization through a multidisciplinary practice that spans drawing, painting, photography, sculpture, and site-specific installations. Drawing from her family's rich Southern roots, 
current and historical socio-political events, intersectional feminism and African-American protest and devotional traditions, Thomas's practice centers the ideas that amplification, the idea that amplify visibility, healing, and empowerment in the face of erasure, trauma, and oppression. Look for future programming with Lava Thomas about Dr. Maya Angelou as we get closer to the memorial installation. Some of the programs we'll be offering. For January, February, our On the Same Page author is Alyssa Cole. Her book entitled When No One is Watching um, is our featured January, February, February title, and she'll be in conversation with one of our librarians here at Maine and the African American Center, and it's a hybrid program. So um, those programs are fairly well attended, and so we're excited to welcome her here, and there's an associated book club for our patrons to um, attend the program but also read her book. Also in the African American Center, we will be offering a program entitled Love Letters, and it's kind of riffing off of jazz and blues music to inspire patrons to write themselves, a spouse, a loved one, a love letter, and kind of just be in community with each other. We, um, we really think it's important to, um, you know, take steps to find spaces for our communities to do that and use our spaces. One of my favorite programs this year is um, going to happen February 3rd, MJ's Brass Boppers. They're a second line, um, it's a second line performance. So any of you folks who've been to New Orleans, um, you're probably well-versed with second line. So the idea is they'll start the musical procession in front of City Hall, um, cross the plaza and end on Larkin Street. So it's a really great way to direct people to the library, but also activating the space in the Civic Center area. Two events that happened earlier today, San Francisco's Black-led marketplace called In the Black. It's an actual physical space in the Fillmore, and it's a space that is Black-led, um, vendors and um, small business people, and there's um, these two programs happened in our virtual library, and so folks will walk through um, In the Black and had the opportunity to learn more about the um, Black-owned businesses in that area and ways to support them. Um, also, in support of small businesses, we had a program earlier today entitled Four Secrets to Manifesting Clients with Khadija Yance, and her business is Bloom Into You, so she offers small business coaching, specifically for Black entrepreneurs, but really anyone who's interested. We have a range of author talks happening in the library. So our first program, which already happened, um, with Poet Laureate Tongo Eason Martin. He's in he was in conversation with Dr. Mary Emma Graham, and they were t um, they were reviewing or talking about a new biography um, about Margaret Walker, who was a poet and writer from mid 20th century, an important African American poet and writer. We also have local poet and writer Thea Matthews, who will be presenting her newest book entitled Unearth the Flowers. And also from the Bay Area, James Cagney and Daniel B. Summerhill, they'll be in conversation sharing a little bit of some of the new works that are in Cagney's new book, Martians, um, and that's in the Hormel Center. 
I also wanted to highlight some wellness programs we have going on in the African-American Center every Wednesday. There's meditation in that center. We love our partnership with the National Park Services. They'll be um, uh, um, presenting in the virtual library, talking about Buffalo Soldiers in the National Parks. And a really important program happening at the end of the month, February 28th, with the San Francisco Reparations Committee, um, sharing the work that they've been doing to date, the history of rep the reparations movement, and um, um, and just an opportunity to engage local leaders who are involved in this important work. My favorite are the book clubs and the films. So my recommendation, of course, for the books is our On the Same Page selection, When No One is Watching by Alyssa Cole, although there's a nice selection of books to choose from. And on, on the film front, I would definitely check out Judas and the Black Messiah and Black Panther. I think the director of both are um, Ryan Coogler, Wakanda Forever. He's from, Bay, um, from Oakland. Those are wonderful films and a great way to, again, be in community with folks in, um, in our branches. Looking a little bit about um, the programs we're offering for youth. So we have um, a range of uh, youth programs that we're offering that cover storytelling, movement, and, and music. And so with these slides, you'll see some familiar faces, such as Kirk Waller. We love Kirk. He'll be at Western Edition later on this month. Um, in addition to Clara Kamundi and um, Muriel Johnson, they're all storytellers sharing folk tales um, originating in West Africa or that or or, or just like dealing with African American folklore as a whole. So those are really popular with the with the littles. Um, some of my favorites um, for young people, Ashiba and Six Roses. Ashiba is a wonderful storyteller. If you haven't had the opportunity to um, sit on, on his programs, kids love him, parents love him as well. So it's really exciting to have him back in our spaces. Um, in addition to Six Roses, who've played extensively in the Bay Area, they're jazz um, couple, you know, jazz duo, excuse me, and they're going to be in two of our branches as well. Rounding it out, Keenan Webster, um, Fauna Solomon, they are on the musical end. Keenan Webster, he um, does great work in demonstrating how to use traditional African instruments, sharing that with young people and their families, and interweaving that with, um, you know, some of the West African languages that, you know, he's, he uses in the work that he shares with the community. Um, in the movement front, we've got Jarrell Phillips. He's a Capuetist. He's a favorite of ours. He'll be here in Maine. So we're stretching it out a little bit. You know, our more than a month celebration happens from MLK Day weekend through February. Uh, Jarrell will be um, performing or presenting in March. Unique Derek is another favorite, barrier favorite. He's going to be presenting in, at the Bayview branch. Um, and Maria Young, she'll be doing West Af African dance at our Ingleside location. So something new that we're, you know, really trying to intentionally ensure that we're pulling through um, cultural programs throughout the whole year. So February is Black History Month, yay, but we also want to present these programs throughout the year. So the Cultural Awareness Committee at the library is ensuring that we do that for every month. Um, that the community, we've heard the community, they want to see these programs year round. And we're going to, we're embarking um, on ensuring that happens throughout the year. 
I also wanted to give a shout out and a thanks to the friends of San Francisco Public Library. They underwrite much of this great public programming that we do and to extend many thanks to our staff here, both the youth services librarians, the adult services librarians, and um, CPP for leading the charge to um, ensure that we have robust programming in our communities to get people into our spaces. I wanna leave you with this quote from Dr. Maya Angelou. I always knew from that moment, from the time I found myself at home in that little segregated library in the South, all the way up until I walked up the steps of the New York City Library. I always felt in any town, if I can get to a library, I'll be okay. It really helped me as a child and that never left me. So I have a special place for every library in my heart of hearts. Thank you. Thank you, Naomi. And I'll just add one more program to that lineup that we're putting the finishing touches on. It's a joint celebration of Black History Month with Lunar New Year. So it's gonna be Wednesday, February 15th in this space. Got an incredible lineup of Asian and African drummers, rappers, incredible talent from around the Bay Area. So I hope the public will join us for that. February 15th, uh, Wednesday at like five o'clock, five to eight o'clock here and the CRED Auditorium. All right, our next presenter is Nicholas Ott. Nicholas is the digitization librarian here at the main library on the fifth floor in our Digi Center. And he's gonna tell you about our DIY Digi Lab. Here you go, here's the clicker. Good evening, my name is Nick Ott and I'm a digitization projects librarian in SFPL's DigiCenter on the fifth floor of the main. On December 4th, 2022, the DigiCenter opened its DIY DigiLab, a personal archiving workstation for public use. I'm here to share some information and stories about the lab, how it works, what it is, how people have been using it so far, and how it fits into the scope of the DigiCenter's responsibilities. Before I begin, I'd like to thank California Revealed, a California State Library initiative that helps heritage organizations digitize materials for the DIY DigiLab's initial funding, technical advice, and some setup assistance. Now let's get started. Uh, what is the DIY DigiLab? It's a place to digitize your personal photographs, videos, tape recordings, documents, and home movies. It's a place to learn about digitization hardware and software tools. It's a place to access your uh, recorded memories, and it's a completely new service for SFPL library card holders. The picture here shows uh, the workstation with the equipment, furniture, and signage on the fifth floor in what used to be study room 540. You can see from this slide the variety of materials that people can digitize using the lab several types of video and audio tapes, photographic prints, slides and negatives, documents, and some types of film. The video and audio machines are connected to a Macintosh computer with software to read and translate the analog original into a digital file. The following slide will explain this in a little more detail. Uh, while the lab currently offers a good selection of equipment, we are considering purchasing more to digitize additional formats uh, depending on the availability of the obsolescent playback machines and uh, patron demand, 
Currently, we're looking into mini disc, a mini disc player, and uh, five and a quarter inch floppy disks. Although those are hard to translate to modern equipment, so we're working on that. Uh, how does the lab work? Uh, it uses a few different kinds of software and hardware to digitize materials. All the visual formats on tape use uh, something called the Elgato video capture device, which is simple and effective. Uh, we decided on GarageBand for audio formats because it came with a computer and it's relatively easy to use. The trickiest setup is for the Wolverine, um, which digitizes 8mm and Super 8 film reels. Two-dimensional objects are scanned with a high-quality Epson scanner using the out-of-the-box software. Uh, the lab does not have Photoshop or any kind of photo editing capabilities. It's solely for digitizing and organization. Uh, in order to facilitate the do-it-yourself aspect of the lab, all the workflows are available for download and perusal um, through the, the lab's SFPL webpage. We ask patrons to review the appropriate documentation before their session begins. We've also included instructions on how to format an external storage device for use on both Mac and PCs uh, to make sure that DigiLab patrons can access their uh, materials on whatever computer they use. The first time patrons use the lab, we walk them through the digitization process for the formats they have brought with the idea that they themselves will be responsible, responsible for the majority of the work after the initial orientation. In the first month of usage, most lab users have caught on pretty quickly and were able to utilize the machinery themselves with relatively little assistance from us, but we're always there to help them when they need it. Uh, currently, the lab is open for individual three-hour appointments twice a week, Sundays and Tuesdays. Sessions are three hours long because analog formats have to be digitized in real time and also to allow for a few minutes of orientation and, and setup at the start of each session. Patrons sign up via an online appointment system linked to the DIY DigiLabs webpage, and appointments can be booked up to 30 days in advance. The, lab web, the lab's webpage also explains how to prepare for your visit and what to bring uh, and what to bring and what to do once you've arrived here at the library. When a new user arrives at the lab for their appointment, uh, they meet with a DigiCenter staff member for their brief orientation. Uh, then they sign a waiver concerning copyright compliance and risk of damage to their materials. And then they get started. Uh, from there, DigiCenter staff, are, like I said, are on call um, via the reference desk to assist as needed. So far, uh, the DigiLab has been extremely popular and has been booked ever since it opened. Uh, for the month of December, we had only seven appointment slots, but they were all taken. Uh, we had 782 visits to the website with 578 unique visitors. Five of those unique page views were in Spanish or Chinese. The number of unique visitors, along with the anecdotal feedback we've received from patrons via chat, email and in person indicates that there is a high interest in the DIY DigiLab. Uh, as stated, we're currently open for two three-hour appointments each week, but that's not enough given the amount of demand we've received, so we plan to open a third appointment slot beginning in February. We're also planning for the next phase of the DIY DigiLab to include more than one workstation. Uh, the DigiLab is part of a loose network of similar programs and services across the country that offer technical and educational tools for people to digitize their personal archives. Above are a few examples. Uh, the first digitization lab that I know about at a public library was in the Washington, D.C. system, 
and uh, they've offered us many pieces of advice and helped our project out quite a bit over the years. We've modeled some aspects of our services after those used by these institutions and have received uh, helpful suggestions from their librarians and techs whenever we had to reach out. Uh, the numbers abstractly show public interest and demand for the, the DigiLab service, but uh, patron stories paint a much richer picture. Here are a couple of anecdotes about our December visitors. The first lab patron on December 4th brought in videotapes that she'd recorded but never watched from 25 years ago. And she was able to see her, her child, who was a toddler at the time, and who's now a 20-something, um, you know, back when he was a kid. She hadn't seen that tape since she filmed it. Um, the, the week before Christmas, we had someone who brought in two very different items from her personal and family history. Uh, she brought in an audio cassette of computer-generated music that she had composed as a student when she was at Columbia in the 80s. She'd written the, the Fortran code and used punch cards for the, the initial input. And uh, she told us she planned to play it for her daughter for Christmas, which I thought was kind of nice. Um, she also brought in her mother's school graduation record, which was uh, in Chinese calligraphy that her mother had carried when leaving China for Taiwan during World War II. So that was really cool to see. Uh, as people continue to bring in their, their obsolete formats, unlocking treasured memories for themselves and their families, they may also consider their items of interest to the San Francisco History Center or another archive. In this way, the DIY DigiLab can serve as an introduction to archives and special collections and can bring the SF History Center important personal papers that could help diversify its collections. The DIY DigiLab is just one aspect of the DigiCenter as a whole. We also provide in-house digitization for SFPL arch uh, SFPL's archival materials and government documents and make them available as digital collections via SFPL's digital asset management system, digitalsf.org. The center consults and coordinates with multiple library departments, including Catalog, IT, uh, the San Francisco History Center, Book Arts and Special Collections, the Government Information Center, and, and also the branch libraries. You can think of the Digi Center as sort of a trifecta of activities, as shown here in the slide, uh, showing our new wall display case. We digitize selected library materials. We manage the website and related software system that preserves and presents the resulting digital collections. And we help members of the public learn how to digitize their own personal archives. In this way, we connect the public locally and from all over the world to San Francisco history, San Francisco government, and San Francisco communities. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much, Nick. We are so fortunate to have your technical expertise expertise shepherding this project. Thank you. All right, our next presenter is Michelle Jeffers, Chief of Community Programs and Partnerships, and she's going to tell you about our partnership with the California State Library to offer free passes to our state parks. Is that too low? Okay. Can you hear me? I am Michelle Jeffers. He was, he was correct. And I'm here to tell you about the California State Library Parks Pass Program. 
which is a program started um, by the California State Library and State Parks to provide free vehicle day use passes to all, not to all, but to most state parks in California. Um, I consider this just really one more tool in our toolbox of all the ways that we encourage people to read and also get outside, whether it's through Discover and Go, whether it's through our longstanding partnership with the National Park Service, whether it's through our local partnerships with Rec and Park. But now um, we've filled the void with the state parks being um, important partners for us. Um, these park passes are available to check out at all San Francisco Public Library branches, our bookmobiles as well and also all um, 1,184 public libraries in the state. So we're not the only ones with this one. Here you can see um, one of the gems of the state park system is of course our own Candlestick Point, National Rec or Candlestick Point State Recreation Area. And this is also what the pass looks like when you check it out. It's a, it's a dashboard pass and it, it provides you with entry. It's got a barcode on the backside and it provides you with entry um, to the parking pass, to parking lots that are available at, start, at state parks. Um, the barcode is scanned and then you're allowed to entry. Um, we had, we started this program or they sent the passes over to us back in the spring, but was limited number. So we allowed them to be checked out for just one week at a time over the summer. So, so we could get as much use out of them as possible. But in November, December, they were able to send us a considerable additional supply of them. So now I think we have, let's see. 695 passes for San Francisco residents. Um, and as of December 31st, they've been checked out 800 times. And they have gone to a three week checkout. So you have more time to, to go visit a park while you have that pass. Um, to encourage the use of the passes, of course, we're all about the book and movie list. So we did create um, lists of where you can find nature, movies celebrating the great outdoors, bear hikes and walks to inspire you on your journeys outside. And then we also created this list because although San Francisco is a wonderful city, it only has Candlestick Point as a state park in our city limits. So we wanted to show people what the neighborhood, the neighboring parks and neighboring counties would be available to be used with the passes. So I know that many of you are familiar with all these parks and I hope you check out a park and get outside. The website is right there too to find all our resources about the state parks pass. And of course, this program was created by the California State Library in partnership with the um, California's first partner office, which of course is Jennifer Siebel Newsom, and the uh, California State Park System and Foundation and the California National Natural Resources Agency. Um, they recognize, all of them recognize the power of our public libraries in really getting the word out and getting resources out to the communities. And that's why it became a library accessible park pass. Um, I hope everyone remembers this when they do want to go out to a state parks that they make a pit stop at the library first to pick up their pass. And that concludes my presentation. Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate your leadership in always making these partnerships happen and function. All right. Our final report this evening is an opportunity to celebrate San Francisco Public Library's inclusion in the Library Journal Index of Public Library Service for 2022. This is our trade publication. You have a copy of the article in your packets. I'm pleased to report your San Francisco Public Library is a five-star library. This is the highest possible ranking. As background, the data included in these rankings is derived from the fiscal year 20 data provided to the Institute of Museums and Library Services as part of their annual public library survey. You may recall fiscal year 20 spans the period at the beginning 
of the COVID-19 pandemic. So March 14th, 2020 to June 30th, 2020, when many of our metrics were impacted negatively by the closure. So physical circulation, visits, uh, computer usage. Nonetheless, our cumulative utilization that year still surpassed our peers who were no doubt also Im impacted by the pandemic related closures. For context, of the 5,359 public libraries rated, only 258 libraries received STARS, or roughly 4.8% of the sample. Of that sample, 85 of the 258 STAR libraries uh, spread across multiple budget categories uh, received the coveted five-star rating. So by the numbers, we are in the top 2% nationally in terms of utilization metrics there were only two peers in our budget category that you can see on this table, St. Louis County and Santa Clara County Library District uh, here in our backyard with a higher index score. So this recognition is just another testament to how much our community values and utilizes their library system. So in closing, I'd like to encourage all of the San Francisco Public Library staff and our commission to take a bow. You know, this is just the latest validation of service excellence and service to our community as we aspire to be the premier urban library in the country. And that concludes the city librarian's report. Thank you so much. This was really exciting today. We learned, I mean, I learned a lot. I saw a lot of open eyes up here on discovering new things. So this was terrific. So um, we're gonna first open this up to um, public comment. Um, we'll begin here in Corrette Auditorium and then move to our um, participants um, observing and watching via WebEx. So public comment on item number five, the um, city librarian's report is now open here in Corrette Auditorium. Good evening, Peter Warfield, Executive Director of Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com, and PO Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. First of all, I'd like to thank the presenters uh, for presenting all of this very interesting information, uh, all of which has to do with what the library is doing for the public. and. Um, I think that is really what's primary as far as what the library's function is and what your responsibility is for uh, making sure that the library users get uh, something good. Uh, with respect to a lot of this material, it wasn't clear to me where somebody would be able to find it. So, for example, uh, President Wolf, where would one see this stuff? Um, I, for example, was looking at the, at the library, double-page spread, which was very nice, on uh, more, than a month, more than a month, which is black history. And I was actually a little disappointed. I mean, nothing against any of the programs being presented, and they all look very interesting and good. Um, but I was looking for Martin Luther King himself on Martin Luther King Day. And I didn't see anything in particular about Martin Luther King as any kind of a presentation for that day or the weekend on the library's website. And on this double page spread, I only found a single 
uh, item that had to do with Martin Luther King himself, a film in remembrance of Martin, a PBS home video, personal comments from family, friends, and advisors, and so on. But this was people talking about Martin Luther King and not himself, which I was seeking. I wanted to hear the real deal, uh, the primary source. Amy Goodman actually did a almost an hour long of excerpts from various speeches that he did, not just the most famous one that we tend to hear over and over again, the wonderful I Have a Dream speech. So I'm wondering where all the other stuff that we've seen uh, would be available. With respect to the Star Report, it's a very interesting report that uh, you've included with your packet. But I have some questions because, first of all, what are they measuring? Some of the definitions simply are not there. What is library website visits? Uh, and also the library's total score in its category of 30 million plus is third highest. But when you look at the smaller libraries, the score of the library is way lower, often down below half of those other libraries. And that question raises, the question it raises is why, and what do these scores mean, and what do the measures mean? Thank you. Thank you, thank you for your comment. Any other further public comment here in Corrette Auditorium? Seeing no further public comment here, we'll turn to our participants via WebEx. Operations, if there are any commenters in the remote queue, please begin to put the commenters through. Madam President, there are no callers in the queue at this time. Pause briefly to allow callers to join. Madam President, please take callers in the queue. Thank you, Operations. Seeing that there are no further comments uh, through WebEx, public comment on item number five, the City Librarian's Report, is now completed. And we now turn it to public uh, discussion here um, from the commissioners. I know that um, Naomi, Nick, um, Michelle, and Michael are available to answer any questions. So are there any comments from my fellow commissioners? Oh, um, Commissioner um, Lomax Garducci. Thank you, thank you, Madam President. I just want to say that um, first of all, Naomi, the um, the more than a month is so robust, um, and obviously you've engaged all forms of art, you know. Um, but what I really love is the intergenerational uh, piece of this, and how youth and children are also included and focused, as well as for you know um, a, a, a plethora of other adult learners. And I just want to say it's just really, really a beautiful curation of of Black history, culture, and heritage. And I just want to say thank you so much because it, I can't imagine it being any better than what you you and the team have put together. It can't get any better than that. I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, I'm definitely giving all praise to the team. Uh, they did an exemplary job at, um, you know, reading the room, kind of knowing what the community has and will respond to and, and kind of remaining in conversation with community to know that having those intergenerational programs are super important. Um, it really, you know, for the youth services team, it really is the bedrock, that family engagement. 
you know, you have programming for families, you're going to cover everyone, all ages, and there's so many important engagement opportunities with each discrete age span um, up to adulthood. So the programs that we're offering were definitely well thought out, and we're, we're seeing the fruits of some of that work in terms of, um, you know, people coming to these events and you know, getting reacquainted with this type of programming and being in community with other people in our location. So that's what we're all about. Yeah. One uh, last comment on that is um, obviously it's black history as opposed to African-American history. And so you've, you've included the African-American story and you have the whole black diaspora with the various um, um, kind of the, I call it the black global mm -hmm. perspective and inclusion. And we know that San Francisco and the Bay Area is very much, you know, um, a diverse black population um, from those of us that are African-American, such as myself. But you have any, many people that have come from other parts of the, the world that have migrated here and their families have long histories as well. And I think that that's really important to do that. Thank you for mentioning that um, I was in the community just this past weekend and I ran into um, a, a former staff member who is Senegalese and he appreciates um, you know the range of programs that we offer for Black History Month and that it's not just black Americans it's Caribbean folks it's folks from the continent it's all, you know it's very expansive the programming and the intention we put behind our programming um, so I think again I think the team has done a really wonderful job at capturing all of that. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Lopez. Thank you to all the presenters. Uh, I, I always feel like um, this is my evening class once a month because I learned so much from all of you and all the work you do. Um, I do have a couple questions for Nick, uh, Nicholas. Um, the, the program is, is fascinating, and, and I'm glad that we're increasing the number of um, hours. Um, and, and this is just, um, you know, I just because I, 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 I was thinking of a lot of folks who will be interested in the, this. Um, do you offer any bilingual support for, um, you know, like for any uh, non-English speakers who who, who want to do this um, type of work um, and, you know, want to digitize their memories. And then part of my second question is, um, I know you mentioned that there is support, um, uh, you know, technical support. To, to, to what extent is the technical support? I, I'm just thinking, you know, like, for someone who doesn't feel comfortable with technology and um, but do want to um, get albums or pictures or tapes. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit on that, please? In terms of the, uh, the bilingual um, support, I, I speak a tiny bit of Spanish and I've helped people in that way. Um, we have staff on the fifth floor who do speak Chinese. And um, we have not had anybody come to the lab who doesn't speak English yet. Um, but I'm sure that it will happen. Um, I don't have a great plan for that right now, unfortunately. I, I'm, I'm hoping to draw on the, the skills of my coworkers if that were to happen. Um, 
And that that's something I need to speak with my supervisor about. Absolutely, that we need to plan for that. I pre I really appreciate that because yeah, I mean, it, you know, we we had people visiting the website in Spanish and Chinese, and so there is some interest. But so far, we haven't had that experience within the the library itself. Um, but hopefully, we will. <laughs> and in terms of the technical assistance. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a learning process. And so we want people to learn how to use the the equipment. So we we do, you know, when somebody comes in and they they might express a little hesitation. You know, hopefully the people who who come in are not are not going to be scared of the technology. Maybe they they might not know how to use it, but um hopefully if they're there, they're, you know, willing to to learn and 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 utilize the technology. So yeah, I mean, I've I've sat there with people for half an hour and showed them how to use the the scanner and the and the you know how to create a new track on GarageBand and listen to their stuff that they're digitizing and yeah, I mean, it's just you know, it's like you're you're working with them one on one and and showing them the you know I I wrote this whole binder that has the all the workflows and um, people have been using that. Uh, and people have been telling me that they downloaded the, the PDFs beforehand and, and read them and prepared themselves. But, but if they come in and they're not exactly ready, then yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll sit with them for not the whole time because it's a do-it-yourself digilab, you know? And so there's, there's that aspect where we're, we're trying to show them that they can do this um, if, they, if they just maybe get over the fear a little bit. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a didactic interaction I'm, I'm showing them how to use these machines and with the with the idea that you know after i show them once or twice that, that they'll be able to do it themselves um and you know if somebody needs a little more assistance sometimes there's errors sometimes there's unexpected anomalies yeah i mean they call us out and we will sit with them and, and work it out i mean you know we have three hours in the in the in the booth so it's it's quite a bit of time to to experience some hiccups, some false starts, and and you know, so people people have been really good about kind of digging in and and uh, really trying to understand what's going on. That's I mean, that's been my experience so far. Thank you so much. I'm really excited for uh, the lab. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to pick up, and and um, we might need to think about increasing. The days and hours because I, I feel that um you know it's it's something that um a lot of people will, will benefit from so. I, i've heard nothing but you know excited comments and and gratitude so far people have been so excited about it and people walk by the the study room where it's at and they kind of look at all the equipment and come over and talk to to, to us at the reference desk and yeah just regular people are, are curious about it and and I, and I think that it it really is a service um like you said you know how it, it ties to the historical aspect of it because if we don't digitize some of these documents or some of these videos they might get lost and, oh, absolutely you know so um thank you so much thank you Thank you, Commissioner Lopez. Um, Commissioner Lomax Garaducci, I think you wanted to say something more. I was just going to say very quickly, um, uh, Dr. Lopez made a lot of really good points. I just want to put it on the record that this is a democratiz democratization of, archi of the archival process. You have to think that people that used to be able to, uh, to have good records 
um, were people that were generally in an upper social socioeconomic class. And so there is a really beautiful um, kind of leveling the playing field of access um, that that this particular uh, project is doing. And I can't wait to see what that does when you kind of have the citizen archivist, because um, archivists is usually people with a lot of training and, you know, Again, people that have access to both education and, 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 and um, social, social class that goes with that. But to democratize um, one's memories in a way where they can do it themselves is really quite revolutionary. And so um, I can't wait to see how it uh, unfolds. But this is really, a, I think, a very, very important um, uh, social equity um, engagement for the library. Thank you. Um, any further comments from the commissioners? Um, I just want to add, if, if I do my arithmetic correctly, you're able to see um, currently 100 people a year, which is not very many. Um, so I love the idea that you're going to be adding. I'll like to think of this as maybe the pilot. And if we think of it as the pilot, I'm really looking forward to further updates um, as this really grows, because I think it will. And then, of course, in 25 years, there's going to be a new DigiLab, DIY DigiLab, to fix what we just did. So, um, you know, because <laughs> <neural link in your> <laughs> <laughs> technology is constantly changing. But I think this is such a wonderful effort. It's really great that you were able to present, Nick. It was really nice to meet you and hear about what you do. Um, I want to thank Naomi for your continued, really dedicated and uh, leadership role for the library and the communities. And um, Michelle, we always love hearing from you. And, um, and I love that the park, this collaboration with the park is just continuing with the um, California State Park System. And bravo to everybody for the five star. Uh, um, that's a really fantastic way to um, and start the year, uh, end this meeting, start the year. And just want to acknowledge um, that so many of these programs are made possible from the friends of the San Francisco Public Library. So thank you for your support. Um, so um, with that, we uh, end item number five and we move into our final item, which is the adjournment of today's meeting. Um, and I want to um, f see if there is a commissioner who would like to, uh, oh, I'm sorry, we have to open it to public comment, I'm sorry, um, of course. So uh, the, we will start with public comment, and public comment is now open in Karat Auditorium, and we will follow it by those on WebEx. Peter Warfield, Executive Director of Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com and PO Box 170544, San Francisco, California 94117-0544. Uh, I've said this before and I'll say it again, you've all uh, been appointed to uh, represent the, pu the public and the city in uh, policy here. And I think it would you should not adjourn until you insist that you put on the agenda for at, uh, that you put on future agendas 
near the end or at the end of the meeting what you would like to see discussed and or acted upon at future meetings. You've done this in the past. Many other bodies do this currently. And as an example, the president said she loves budget discussions. Well, I do too. But uh, there was no response when I talked about the book, print book and e-book balance. You're spending $20 million pretty much evenly divided. And there's been no discussion about how or why you split the money in the way that you have done. That seems to me to be necessary discussion uh, that you should be asking for. What are the measures? What are the measures? How do the scores get uh, figured out? The library had a score of 1573 on this five-star thing. And the lowest budget libraries had in their charts this many libraries who had a higher score than San Francisco Public Library. This is in the 100,000 to 200,000 a year range. And over here, this many libraries had more score than San Francisco Public Library. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I think that it is worth talking about what's being measured, how it's being measured, and what is the meaning of it. Because after all, that's presumably what your library is putting out for the public. Um, and finally, I think that there hasn't been any mention of the cut in evening open hours. I really think you need to budget for that. And I think you also need to budget for informing people about what these programs are, how they're going to find out about the very generally terrific programs that the library has and which you've praised. How about getting the word out to the public? I go to libraries fairly often. I'm online fairly often. Some of this stuff I wouldn't be aware of if I didn't come to a library commission meeting. I certainly think more people than come to library commission meetings are going to be interested in many of these programs. Thank you. Thank you. Any further public comment here in Corrette Auditorium? Good evening, Library Commission, um, study librarian. Uh, my name is Maurice Rivers. I'm the executive director of the OMI Cultural Participation Project, San Francisco native and lifelong resident of the OMI community. And I'm very, very excited to hear about the cultural programming that I've been seeing uh, for the last hour. And I will be working very closely with Ingleside's uh, new librarian, shout out to Catherine Starr, and putting on some cultural pro programming at Ingleside Branch. So thank you guys for all the great work you're doing. Good night. Thank you very much for your comments. Um, any further comment here in Corrette Auditorium? Seeing no further comment here in Corrette, we will now move to uh, participants on WebEx. Operations, if there are any commenters in the remote queue, please begin to put the commenters through. Hello, Library Commissioners. I'm on WebEx, but I called in because I couldn't figure out how to raise my hand on the WebEx program. Or get unmuted. Uh, hello, can anyone hear me? 
We can hear you. Okay, uh, can you tell me how to wave my hand on WebEx? Because I'm, I'm hearing both audio from my phone and from the computer right now. Uh, if anyone's responding to me, I can't hear you. I can only hear my own voice. Icon found at the bottom of the participant panel in WebEx. Uh, bottom of the participant panel. I don't see anything. There's a mute thing next to my name, but clicking it doesn't do anything. Clicking on public comment doesn't do anything. I can hear you. Uh, well, let me mute my computer and I'll just talk to you on the phone because I'm getting multiple voices that confusing. Uh, you can still hear me now. Yes, we can still Okay. Your voice is coming in very faint, so um, I don't know if there's anything that's been done about that technically, but um, several areas I want to comment on. First of all, my name is Starchild. I'm chair of the Libertarian Party of San Francisco. Um, one is I recently learned about a mix studio program that you have, uh, which has like a sound lab. You can come in and, and make music and jam and stuff, which uh, I think is awesome. Um, but I found out they only allow uh, teams to use it. And um, it seems unfortunate to me that I, I don't see any reason for age discrimination around this program. I, I question what I presume is the presumption that maybe teens wouldn't want to hang out there and use the space if, if older people were also able to do so. Um, I, that seems like an unwarranted assumption that teens are going to be prejudiced against older people that I, I don't know if there's actual evidence for that, but I, I think, you know, lots of older people like, you know, adults like myself would be interested in using the space. Uh, if they can't just have it all, all open to everyone all the time, which I think would be best. Uh, perhaps they could uh, have different hours for teens and adults to use it. Uh, so that it isn't just, uh, again, you know, a whole group of people, majority of the population shut out of this interesting, valuable program, um, you know, on the basis of age discrimination. Um, second item, and I, I, actually, I should, I'll, I'll pause here to allow any response for that from the commissioners, if anyone has any thoughts on that. I, I, I can't hear anything, so I don't know if anyone's saying anything. Hello? Caller seven. Uh, your voice is coming through very intermittently. Um, Caller number seven, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? There were no comments. Okay. Um, well, I, I would like feedback on that. Is this something you'd consider doing? Opening the mix studio to adult participation. Margot Schaub, you can follow up with me at the library. I'm Margot, M-A-R-G-O-T dot S-H-A-U-B at S-F-P-L dot O-R-G. And I'm happy to What's help. What's your phone number, please? Phone number, please. I can give you my email, which is Margot, M A R G O T, 
S. Well, let me give you my number. You, you can call me if you don't want to give me your number. I'd, I'd rather do it by phone if that's okay. Uh, 415. Caller number seven, your time is up. Thank you. Th thank you very much. And um, we appreciate your, your effort to call in and offer your comment. Are there any further um, commenters in the queue on WebEx? Uh, Madam President, at this time, there are no additional callers in the queue. Thank you. Hearing that there are no further comments on WebEx, um, public comment on agenda item number six is now um, complete and closed. Uh, we now turn to the commission to, is there someone who would like a motion, to make a motion to adjourn the commission meeting? Um, I'd like to make a motion to adjourn tonight's um, commission meeting. And do we have a second? I'll second. So we have a motion from Commissioner Lomez Garaducci and a second from Commissioner Huang to adjourn today's meeting. And I'll take the roll call. Commissioners, please say aye or no when I call your name. President Wolf? Aye. Commissioner Ono? Aye. Commissioner Lopez? Aye. Commissioner Bolander? Aye. Uh, the motion passes. The meeting is adjourned, and we will see you back here um, on February 2nd, um, and not the usual time, so it's February 2nd, for our um, next commission meeting. Thank you very much, and here's to a good end of January. Stay dry, healthy, and safe. <laughs>